I'm Bonnie Glazer, Managing Director of the Indo-Pacific Program at the German Marshall Fund of the United States. On August 1, 2017, China officially opened its first overseas military base in the East African nation of Djibouti. The base, constructed to provide logistical support to the Chinese Navy's counter-piracy mission off the coast of Somalia, marked a major step towards Xi Jinping's goal of constructing a world-class military by the middle of the century. The U.S. Defense Department has just released its annual China Military Power Report, and that says that the PRC probably has also considered adding military logistics facilities in 19 countries around the world in addition to Djibouti. And I will quickly name those. Cambodia, Burma, Thailand, Indonesia, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, United Arab Emirates, Kenya, Equatorial Guinea, Seychelles, Tanzania, Angola, Nigeria, Namibia, Mozambique, Bangladesh, Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, and Tajikistan. To expand its global footprint, the PLA will need to cultivate good relations with potential host countries. China's military diplomacy is likely aimed at achieving that objective, among others. Today, we're going to discuss the key features and goals of China's military diplomacy and its quest for additional military installations, or what the Chinese call strategic strongpoints. I'm pleased to have as my guest today, Kristen Gunnis, who's a senior policy researcher in the Rand Corporation's Washington office. She previously served as the director of the Navy Asia-Pacific Advisory Group at the Pentagon, advising the Chief of Naval Operations on security and foreign policy trends in the Indo-Pacific, focusing on Chinese naval and gray zone warfare capabilities. Earlier this year, Kristen testified on China's overseas military diplomacy and its implications for American interest at a hearing convened by the U.S. Economic and Security Review Commission. Thanks for joining the China Global Podcast, Kristen. Thank you for having me. So let's start big picture. What exactly is military diplomacy? And does China's military diplomacy differ from that of the United States and other countries? So that's a great question. Um, I think the the other question is really what is uniquely Chinese about this approach to military engagement? Um, and there are a few points I would make on that. Um, the first is that China really views military diplomacy as a means of supporting broader Chinese national and strategic objectives through building relations with specific partners or within regions where uh, China has vital economic interests that it wants to build on and secure, or where China is actively trying to shape the foreign policy or the international security environment to be more conducive to Chinese interests um, through building stronger bilateral relationships with, uh, with countries through military engagement. So that's, that's the first point. Um, this has been highlighted recently in recent years uh, by Xi Jinping himself um, with uh, some speeches internal to the PLA as well as uh, PLA leadership really um, emphasizing that military diplomacy is a tool that the PLA should use to support broader Chinese foreign policy um, and uh, security objectives. So it really is a supporting element. Um, we can see examples of how the PLA is using military diplomacy to support China's objectives in places like Africa, where China has economic and strategic interests that it would like to grow, and where Beijing already has a robust relationship with many of the countries um, 
in that region. So uh, that is a, one example of how um, China's using military di diplomacy to support broader goals. And I think this is a little different from how the U.S. approaches military um, engagements. And, and part of this is structural because we have a global military and China at the moment does not have a global military like we do. But U.S. military engagement or more broadly security cooperation is, um, is, is also meant to bolster security relations with partners and allies, but it's a little more focused on building specific capabilities with partner militaries and augmenting existing military relationships. Um, and, and whereas the Chinese really view military diplomacy as a supporting element of their broader foreign policy uh, strategy. So maybe you can uh, just touch on a couple of the key interests that China's trying to advance through its military diplomacy. Sure. So I think at the strategic level, the interests are really supporting China's economic and political interests with countries that either occupy a strategic location um, for China or are willing or, or with, are within a geographic area uh, where China would like to build influence or increasingly counter U.S. influence, given given the broader U.S.-China competition. Um, a second goal is this: is the security aspect of military diplomacy. Um, China has used military diplomacy to increase its military and security footprint in locations where it needs to secure its interests, such as in Africa, uh, where it's increased its level of peacekeeping forces, or closer to home uh, in the region in countries where China has security concerns about borders or stability, such as the establishment of um, a small Chinese military base in Tajikistan, um, which has helped build Chinese security presence in Central Asia. Um, and then I think a final objective is that there's a narrative that Beijing wishes to uh, push forward about China as a peaceful and benevolent power. Um, and, and that can contribute to stability, a power that can contribute to stability and be an international security provider, as other great powers do. Um, as well as countering the anti-China narratives that it views as harmful for this image. So military diplomacy does play a role in that, and, and it views that as a tool that it can use um, through some of its international security missions uh, to, um, to provide this, this other, other narrative. You've mentioned Africa a couple of times. Are there other regions that you would highlight as major targets of China's military diplomacy? And do they pursue military diplomacy in ways that varies by country or region, or do they really have a blueprint that they try to apply everywhere? So I think the primary region is still, for military diplomacy, is still the Indo-Pacific, um, largely because that's the region where China would like to be viewed as the preeminent power. Um, it's clearly in China's sphere of influence. But also because until fairly recently, the PLA's capabilities weren't really robust enough overseas to do much uh, else outside of the region. So the countries in China's near periphery um, have been targets of much of China's military diplomacy efforts over the last you know, 15 years. Um, and in recent years, these have included both the countries that China has traditionally engaged in exercises and training with, such as Thailand, to countries where China would like to potentially increase its presence um, or is intent on gaining greater military access to include Cambodia and Vietnam. Uh, it also now includes some countries where China is also trying to counter the potential for increased U.S. influence or mend fences in the bilateral relationship, so to speak, uh, such as Indonesia and the Philippines. Um, and I would say China has a dual track approach to military engagements with countries in the region where it conducts annual military activities such as training, 
with certain militaries in the region, but then calibrates other engagements per its broader objectives with that country and its overall assessment of its bilateral relationship with a particular country. Uh, in terms of other regions where China is focused, um, that includes Central Asia, including members of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and of course, Russia, with which China has conducted many regular exercises in military training, exchanges, and the like. China also focuses on engagement in Africa, given its longstanding relationship with many of the countries in that region, as well as its economic interests in the energy and minerals uh, and trade from Africa. And then I would say the, the, the last area of focus uh, is Oceania and, and the Pacific Island countries. Um, and that's a more recent area of focus for Chinese military diplomacy efforts. So that includes the Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea. Um, for example, the PLA Navy in September just did a, um, a goodwill tour in the Pacific Islands to conduct bilateral training. So that's another area of focus. So let's shift away from talking about what they're trying to do to whether or not they're having uh, success. Uh, and uh, is the PLA usually welcomed with open arms or are there cases where the receiving country is ambivalent um, or even resistant to having these uh, kind of connections with China's military? So um, I guess the, the question here is how successful have they been to do what? Uh, and I do think in terms of um, helping to support China's broader objectives and grow influence, the military has been a more useful tool in some cases. Um, for example, China's contributions to peacekeeping come to mind here in terms of helping to solidify relations with countries in Africa, with the local governments there, and build ties um, with the militaries to help protect Chinese investments and citizens. Uh, but in terms of an objective like increasing Chinese access to more places, for example, um, I think there the success has been much more limited. Even though, for example, the Solomon Islands signed on to a security pact with China, there is little evidence that this has really resulted in increased access for Chinese forces or increased influence for China in a significant way. It might have, um, you know, maybe around the edges, but not in a significant way. So I think the, the jury's still out as to how effective a tool um, military diplomacy is for China in terms of increasing access or capability. And in some cases, it can even be damaging if China's ham-handed about the way it goes about uh, conducting military diplomacy. So the PLA has experienced pushback from local populations. Um, China, if, for example, was not initially welcomed in Djibouti, but it uh, has tended to use economic incentives to smooth the way um, in countries where it intends to increase its security presence. And so oftentimes we'll see the economic um, the, the economic projects, the infrastructure projects and investments come first, and that is followed by Chinese um, security presence of some sort or a security relationship. Um, and on that last point, it's it's worth mentioning that um, uh, the success of the PLA's military diplomacy is somewhat determined by China's overall approach to its foreign policy and how countries view that approach. So a China that's pursuing, for example, a wolf warrior diplomacy and is perceived as coercive or an untrustworthy partner could really hamper PLA efforts to build relations and gain access in key locations. And we have witnessed some of this uh, as China's reputation as an economic partner has become somewhat degraded through the um, amount of bad debt uh, and some of the failed infrastructure projects through the Belt and Road Initiative, for example. And, and some of those developing countries have... Um, have have incurred a lot of debt where China's and so this these are areas where China's focused its military diplomacy efforts, but um, it may have limited success. 
So you've cited uh, several examples where, of course, China uh, has already established uh, facilities or has some access arrangements, Djibouti, uh, Cambodia. You uh, talked about their operations now in Tajikistan and uh, their attempt uh, to have some kind of access in the Pacific Islands. If you were to pin all the places on a map where we see the Chinese trying to seek to set up some overseas military installations. What would that tell you about Beijing's broader geopolitical strategy? So I think um, it might be summarized sort of in a three with three points. Um, the first is to um, gain access to strategic locations that could augment China's overseas infrastructure, such as logistics infrastructure, and enhance certain capabilities, such as potentially ISR or intelligence collection. Um, the second is to ensure that China has the ability to protect uh, its interests in key regions in the world. And the third is to use the military to support bilateral ties with countries that China views as key partners for economic interests, um, such as access to energy, minerals, or other natural resources. Um, but I do think that the first point about um, coming up with different locations to extend extend its logistics network in particular uh, is very is a key point because in order to eventually sustain operations overseas, China needs more um, more logistics support. It needs more places where it can not just have forces but also um, have places for maintenance and logistics. So China does appear to be particularly interested in military access, for example, along the the slocks from China to the Strait of Hormuz. Uh, to Africa and the Pacific Islands. And these are all sort of key locations for eventually extending operational reach if it wanted to deploy forces overseas for a sustained period of time. So if we look at Chinese military diplomacy in, as you rightly uh, position it in China's broader global strategy and its foreign policy, um, how would you describe the challenges that this then poses to U.S. interests? And do you see it as part of this overall U.S.-China strategic competition? Yeah, I think um, it poses some challenges to U.S. interests in several ways. Um, for First, China uses military diplomacy to support efforts to degrade U.S. influence and partnerships, um, as well as promote its own agenda, where it perceives an opportunity to do so. So I already mentioned the Pacific Island countries. That's one area. Another area might be uh, Latin America, although that's really uh, related to countries that are already kind of known to be anti-U.S., such as Cuba, Argentina, and v Venezuela. Um, but, but military diplomacy more broadly can, if it's done correctly, and if, if, um, if, if, if it does, in fact, support China's broader goals, will serve to help China uh, to increase its security partnerships and military access near these vital economic and strategic interests. Um, so we'll see China likely continuing to prioritize military diplomatic efforts in, um, in areas where it wants to gain access to key waterways located in the Indian Ocean, Africa, and the Middle East, as well as in uh, Belt and Road member countries where China already has significant investments and um, assesses it could gain advantage over the United States. Um, China's military diplomacy activities could also augment its efforts to build a wider range of partners with more military capability that could challenge U.S. interests through things like arms sales, technology transfer, and military training. Although, you know, we, they will not come even close to our alliance and partnership structure they are actively um, seeking um, more partnerships in the security area. And so um, these could uh, 
these partnerships could also contribute to regional instability um, in certain parts of the world. Earlier this year, I did a podcast episode with uh, Dr. Isaac Carden uh, on the growing number of Chinese-owned or operated ports around the world. And I believe that his research uh, revealed that there, uh, at the time, were 95 uh, such ports. So what benefits do dual-use or permanent military installations provide that these Chinese-owned uh, or partly-owned and, and operated ports do not? Well, I think that the Chinese-owned and operated ports are mainly uh, commercial in nature. And so that uh, China, now, China does use commercial um, capabilities and is increasingly using commercial capabilities to uh, supplement its military logistics um, and maintenance um, challenges around the world. So that, you know, they do play a part. But uh, but basically, I think that the um, the dual use or permanent military installations really allow China to have a an open sort of um, military, again, military logistics hub or a military f- footprint where it can base forces, um, maybe expand its um, its capabilities, its expeditionary capabilities um, in a way that um, is, it, is not, you know, you're not using a commercial port for that kind of thing. So I think it, it allows them a little more flexibility in terms of the strictly military uh, side of things. One of the places where there's been quite a bit of attention and satellite imagery that's been made uh, public is Cambodia's Riem uh, naval base. And if the Chinese really actually have a permanent facility there, which it looks, looks like they are moving in that direction, um, what specific challenges would that pose uh, to the United States and allies? Is that something that is as worrisome as uh, perhaps, uh, and we can talk about this afterwards, is the uh, their desire for access to a, a facility in um, uh, Equatorial Guinea, which would be the the first facility that would be facing the Atlantic? And I know, and we've seen reports that there's a lot of uh, concern in the Pentagon about that. Yeah, so I, some people are very worried about about a base, a Chinese base at Cambodia, um, in Cambodia. I am less concerned about that. Um, I do think it shows, it is concerning in that it shows, you know, support um, for, you know, Chinese um, military capabilities um, in that area by Cambodia. Um, and that is, you know, maybe something concerning for the United States, but actually China has the, already has the ability to project power down there. Um, it also has the ability to, and and it has done for many years, um, uh, deploy forces on a rotational basis, um, particularly naval forces, um, mainly naval forces, I would say, um, in, in that area. And so, um, you know, a base in Cambodia would again allow it to um, increase its logistics infrastructure, and that would uh, augment its ability to project power in in some in some cases. Um, however, it also creates another vulnerability for China. Um, again, sort of a security risk for China in a conflict. It would certainly be vulnerable. So I think it's a um, a mixed a mixed bag in terms of whether it's um, it's good for China. It's an opportunity for China versus concerning for the U.S. And what about uh, Equatorial Guinea? Uh, I, I recall reading in the press that uh, after there were uh, concerns that China might be making inroads, that the United States sent a senior delegation to talk to the government there. 
uh, about the, our concerns in the United States about the Chinese getting access. And yet I haven't read anything uh, since then, but I'm sure you follow it more closely than I do. What are the prospects for the Chinese really establishing a facility there? And what would its uh, significance be? Uh, so I think that, uh, so first of all, I am not entirely sure about the actual prospects, <laughs> but, um, but I, I know that China has been, um, has been aiming for that, uh, particular location. I know they've been considering that, um, for quite some time. Um, so I, I do think that it is possible given that China has, um, tried to invest more in, in Equatorial Guinea. Uh, there are some, again, under the Belt and Road, there are some infrastructure projects there, um, you know, they've, again, used economic incentives to sort of pave the way for a potential um, uh, agreement. Um, in terms of the significance of such a facility, um, you know, again, it, it, I think any sort of, I guess the, the, the main point is that any sort of base that China would establish um, would be probably much like Djibouti. It would be small. Uh, it would not be, um, you know, the kinds of um, large scale bases that the United States um, has all over the world. So if they did establish a small base, again, it would allow for uh, another logistics hub. It would allow for some, you know, basing of forces on the West Coast of Africa, which again could could somewhat extend operational reach in some cases, but again, for very small pockets of forces. So we're not talking about China building this huge network of bases, um, at least at the moment, uh, in, in places that would be overly concerning. I, I do think it, it does you know, signal that they're willing to invest in uh, increasing their expeditionary and their global military presence in certain ways. How does Beijing, and particularly the PLA, um, assess their success in military diplomacy? Do you think they're satisfied or do you think that they believe that they should be making more progress faster? So I think, again, it's a little hard to parse that question because the military diplomacy is viewed as part of a broader foreign policy effort, um, and particularly outside of the region. But, you know, I do think, you know, there the military diplomacy, I'll just go back to within the region, has been... Um, you know, they've been only semi-successful. Um, Vietnam comes comes to mind as, as an example of an area where, uh, of a country where China has both tried very hard economically to influence Vietnam um, to support uh, Chinese interests more than it does. And also uh, militarily, where uh, a lot of China's military diplomacy efforts have focused on Vietnam with the intention of, again, sort of getting some kind of military um military and security relationship, uh, a more robust relationship or access um, to places in Vietnam. And it has not worked at all. Um, now, I, so, so I think it's hard for the PLA probably to assess whether it is being successful or not when you um, consider sort of the broader foreign policy approach. Um, I do think, though, that the fact that the that China is able to sort of talk to these, these different countries around the world, um, talk about potentially having security agreements in more locations, um, that they have already been successful in doing some of that to enable their forces to stop at ports around the world and, and have, um, you know, undergo maintenance and, and resupply and things like that, I think does show that um, there's been some, some success in this type of engagement. 
Finally, um, especially since you testified before Congress, I know that you've thought about uh, recommendations for the United States on how to respond to China's military diplomacy um, efforts and its search for permanent military installations. So what should the U.S. be doing that we're not doing? Or what are the things the United States is doing that you think are exactly uh, right on target? I think first, as with many aspects of the U.S.-China competition, we don't need to counter all of China's military engagement activities or even those that might result in a new base or bases elsewhere in the world. While new PLA facilities might add to China's overseas presence, again, they're likely to be small bases that are meant to provide a place for the PLA to grow its capabilities in some areas, um, but also to provide logistics and, and infrastructure support for longer term um, deployments. So I, I do think, you know, we don't have to counter everything. But that said, we do need to think carefully about U.S. security interests and priorities in areas where China is focusing its military engagements in, such as Africa, and, can, and consider increasing those types of U.S. military engagements and security assistance activities that would bolster key partners and allies in those regions and continue to grow bilateral relationships. Um, so we already uh, do some of that in, in, in places like Africa, but I think it, it could be uh, more prioritized. It could, it could be better done. Um, and we can capitalize more on the United States' robust alliance and partnership network in some cases to limit China's access in areas of U.S. interests. And this is one of our uh, greatest advan advantages as, uh, as, as the sort of the preeminent global power is to use this to advance um, security cooperation with partners um, and limit their willingness to allow China to gain access to, to places like key ports and other infrastructure. So this could include um, more security cooperation with states, again, in the Pacific Islands, South Asia, and the Indian Ocean region, as well as uh, in Africa. Um, I do think also there is a side, uh, another side of this, which is to elevate the public profile of U.S. military engagements. Um, so although, you know, one could debate whether China's efforts to use military diplomacy to shape international perceptions have been successful, the United States should really ensure that our own engagements are visible to allies and partners, as well as to China, and that the benefits of those engagements are clearly articulated. And I think this is one area where we, uh, we, could, we could probably do more. Uh, and that would, help, um, that would help sort of bolster our capability in the security cooperation area. Um, and I guess the third one is to, uh, this is a, a point I should have made previously, but um, as China expands its overseas military and security footprint, it also expands its um, ability to collect intelligence on U.S. activities and forces. So working with um, allies and partners to limit that would be also very useful. We've been talking with Kristen Gunnis, who's a senior policy researcher in the RAND Corporation's Washington office. Thanks so much for joining us, Kristen. Really appreciate it. Thank you.